Amen. Welcome home. Welcome home. Good to see you. Happy New Year. All right, all right. We got a pulse. That's good. That's good. Oh, it's going to be great. Um, kids may be dismissed for children's church if you're between the ages of three and fifth grade. Uh, we got great plans for you. Go on upstairs. Uh, going to have a great time. Before we dive in, a um, couple of real quick things. Uh, we are so grateful that you're here. We're so grateful we're starting a new year, new life, new faith. Um, just remember next week we start again the 8 p.m. service. We're going to need some seats next week as our college students start flooding back. Uh, so if, if that's convenient uh, for you, uh, come at 8 o'clock. You're always welcome at 10, but uh, we're just trying to plan ahead. Uh, we have our college lunches starting next week, too. Uh, most of the semester is starting to fill in really nice. Uh, but uh, next week, we, we have an opening. Uh, we have somebody who's willing to help. Uh, if you want to partner with that person, uh, I encourage you to sign up for next week. We do have a budget for this, so see me, see Matt, see Alita. Uh, she's right back there, and she'll tell you how we do it. Uh, but it's a wonderful time of feeding them and feeding Jesus and Full hearts, full stomachs, that's what we believe. So um, please, I'm going to pass this around. Sign up if, if you'd like to. Uh, great. We are back in Acts, uh, our Acts series. Uh, we've been going through verse by verse the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with you, open it up to chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one under the seat in front of you. If you don't have one at home, uh, feel free to take this one with you. We've got a lot of them walking out of here, and that's what we want. We're ordering more. Uh, we want one in every hand and every heart, uh, and so do that. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 26 in a moment. Um, we uh, just concluded a four-week study called Ornaments uh, that take us through the Christmas season, but the truths in that are not limited to Christmas, so uh, if you missed any of that, uh, it is on our website, www.gunnisonbethany.com. All of our messages are there uh, and on uh, uh, iTunes as well. So I encourage you to, uh, to get a listen and get blessed. And uh, God is doing great things. This morning, uh, as we start the new year, to make sure it's not like every other year that we've ever had, that we can have a new year with a renewed faith and new lives, um, it's incredibly important that we see how aggressively, how intentionally uh, that Jesus pursues us, Jesus pursues you, uh, that he chases after us with a relentless, tireless love that he never gives up, he never gives in, he never backs down, and we need to see our lives that way. In fact, Jesus uh, told us as much in Luke 19.10. He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, to chase after people who are far from him. And Romans 10.20, I love this, says, I have been found, God has been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. God is intentional God is chasing after us. The title of this message is Chasing God. And I think sometimes we get this twisted idea of God, this twisted theology that says, 
that God is intentionally hiding himself. He is elusive uh, and that it's all upon us to search after him, to chase after him, uh, that it's all upon us to do that. Uh, when that does not reveal the gospel, that does not celebrate the gospel at all. While we are called to run after him, to chase after him, the reality is that he has loved us first, that he has sought us first, that he has chased after and is chasing after us even now, whether we're a follower of Jesus Christ or we're, whether we're far from him and still checking out the claims of Jesus. Jesus is chasing after us. Uh, we want to see the Jesus who chases us because of his great love and mercy. If we get this, it will change the way we do life, the way we do family, the way we do work, the way we do prayer, the way we do everything. Um, let's pray and we'll get right to work. Father, uh, so wonderful uh, to be here in this place uh, where there is life and truth and hope and your spirit and we're together, and, and you're here. And Lord, I would ask that you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, and that you would so flood this place with your Holy Spirit uh, that we would see you as we've never seen you before, uh, that we would respond to you as we've never responded before. Um, Lord, that you would change us. You are all about new things. And as we start a new year, let us start it with a new and renewed relationship uh, with you. Lord, I, I confess my sins before you. I wish they were not so many. Um, and Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, and I pray for the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus would be lifted up and that we would see him only. Uh, and it's in his beautiful name we pray, amen. Acts 8.26, that's where we're picking up. Great story. There's a lot here. we got a lot to cover, so we're going to try to move quickly. Uh, verse 28, um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is, is the title of, of the story. Uh, as I mentioned, the title of this message is Chasing God. Now, uh, I want us to see that that is not only... Uh, explaining how we are to respond to God, but it describes what God is doing. He is, he is chasing. Uh, he is chasing after us. Okay, Acts 8.26. And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and he said, Rise and go toward the south to the land that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, um, when I first read this, I misread it um, as this is a dessert place. And I thought it was giving him directions to Coldstone or something. It's a very cool passage. Uh, but it's not that. It's very different. God has something in mind here. And he's not exactly telling Philip what that is. He is uh, he's calling through an angel to Philip to do what? Now, earlier in, in this chapter, we saw before uh, the, the uh, ornament series, we saw that God is using Philip. He's using others. Uh, they are going to Samaria and Judea, all parts surrounding Jerusalem because of the persecution. 
And it's very exciting because we saw that through Philip and others, there is a revival breaking out in Samaria. Now, uh, God is loving and saving and reaching people by the boatload. There is a huge revival that is rocking the city. And why is that such a surprise? Because the Jews look down on the Samaritans. Um, you know that many times when Jesus was telling a story and he wanted to use uh, a shocking example, he would often use the Samaritans, uh, the Good Samaritan, for example, because the Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breed loser wannabes. And, and they imagined that God would, just as they do, want nothing to do with these people. But in truth, we see that Jesus is chasing after people that the Jews thought Jesus would want nothing to do with. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Who are the people you're convinced that Jesus wants nothing to do with? Um, they might be uh, divorced. They might be addicted. They might be uh, looking different than you. They might be um, nerds. They might be immigrants. They might be hippies. They might be whatever. Jesus is chasing after the people that we are sure in our high view of ourselves, in our sense of some kind of moral superiority, um, that he would want nothing to do with. And the truth is, Jesus wants everything to do with them. And in fact, is, is chasing after them. And he's chasing after you and me as well, as well. So when we say, I don't want a church that is filled with fill in the blank, whatever that is for you, smelly people, poor people, racially different people, Democrats, whatever, Jesus does, and is chasing after them, chasing after them. Jesus wants them. Now, Philip has to leave this revival. God calls him away from the safe and prosperous and anointed and place where blessing is breaking out all over. He's chasing after a different people, and the angel gives Philip a very specific instruction. Now, why is he going? God is not saying why. He is just calling the play one step at a time. One step at a time. He's saying, get up off the couch right now and go to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, there were two roads, in fact, that traveled from Jerusalem to Gaza. One was heavily traveled, and one was this wilderness back road, um, dirt road that was not very traveled, the road less traveled, if you will, that had no fast food along it, no rest stops, and he's calling Philip to go on this road. It is a desert place. He's calling him to do that, and he's not giving him the whole picture. Um, and you know that sometimes the Holy Spirit will lay on your heart, will lay on your spirit to go to a place to go to a place or to go to a person. And we need to know that the place or the person Jesus calls us to 
always trumps our feeling for that place or that person. Always trumps. So when he lays it on our hearts, we're not to say, oh, that's just heartburn. I'm not going to do that. God would never call me to a place where I'm not happy to go. Jesus would never call me to a place where I would be uncomfortable. Oh, really? Really? How comfortable was the cross? And he's calling us to pick us up, pick it up and go. Listen, um, the place he is calling you to go, I don't know if that's Freshman Hall, your former friend's house, your ex's house, uh, the poor side of town, the cold side of the bed, whatever that is, we go, even if we don't know why. He calls the plays one step at a time. Go here. He doesn't give Philip the next set of instructions. And, and where are we with that, right? Don't we want to know the whole game plan? Where's this whole thing going to end? Where's, how's this all going to play out? You're calling me to this new place. You're calling me to this new job. You're calling me to this new relationship. You're calling me to this new outreach. I want to see how it, how it ends, basically, so I can see if I can agree with it. And then I'll give you my answer. The lesson here is we get a very vague reason. We, we don't know why, but Philip said, yes, he's going to go. So that's what we see in verse 27. Verse 27, and he rose and he went. Philip is on his way. All he knows is that God is leading and that's good enough for Philip. Is that good enough for you and me? It needs to be because that's how God works. That's how we walk by faith. Faithful to the first order. Now, God is not going to give the second order until Philip is faithful to the first God is not going to give you the next step unless you're faithful to this step. And, and thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, but often it only illuminates the place where we put our foot down next. Because here's how we're wired. If he gives us the whole map, we'll follow that maybe and never check back with him. So... He unfolds it step by step. He's leading, uh, leaving this big revival. I wonder why God is sending me here. I wonder what he's about to be up to. Maybe it's another city, another huge revival. Let's find out. Later in verse 27, here we go. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the, the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure... He had come to Jerusalem to worship. God calls Philip to leave a revival that is blowing up the town of Samaria. Blowing it up for what? For one guy. For one person who does not yet know him. So precious and so valuable is the individual soul of a person that Jesus would call one of his most anointed evangelist followers to leave the many and go after the one. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. 
he'd leave the flock on the hillside to walk through the scrub brush to find those who don't know him, to find those who know him and have let life kind of get in between and call them home. Call them home. You got to see the value, the value. Jesus, this is wild. Jesus knows exactly where this guy's going to be. We learn later he's in a chariot, right? He's traveling from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia, 500 plus miles. He's in a chariot, horse-drawn probably, and he's sending a guy down a road 60 miles, 60 miles by foot. So he probably calls Philip to leave and go on this trip before the Ethiopian guy has even left Jerusalem. He's got like that intercontinental ballistic missile. He launches it before the thing even goes off. He knows where this guy's going to be geographically and more importantly, where his heart is, what it's going to take to bring him home. And it's important enough that he sends somebody to intersect, to connect with him because he's chasing after this Ethiopian guy. Now, he is called an Ethiopian eunuch and he's not given a name. And usually in the Bible, if you don't have a name, that's a bad thing. Things are not going to go well for you, like the rich man and Lazarus, right? If you don't have a name, that's a, but it's not like that here. It's not like being cast as sniper number two in a diehard movie, which means you're going to die, you're going to die hard, you're going to die now, right? No, we don't have a name it's a good thing, though, because we know what God wants us to know about this man. He calls him an Ethiopian eunuch. And here's why this is so important. We're going to spend some time here. It's very, very important. He's the Ethiopian eunuch. What do we know about this guy? He's from Ethiopia. Now you're questioning, Tom, do you have to be a pastor to have this brand of wisdom? Don't be a smart aleck. It's important that we, that we know this. First, this step in God's kingdom advancing, in it rolling forward, in it expanding worldwide, globe covering, is that this is the beginning of the fulfillment that Jesus called his disciples, his apostles, and he calls us in Acts 1.8. If you remember, Jesus said this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We saw that happen in Acts 2, 1 through 13. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We saw that in Acts 2 through 8, right? And then and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. We saw that in Acts 8, 1 through 25. And to the end of the earth. This guy is from Africa. Okay? We're seeing that beginning to be fulfilled here. And it continues to go because Jesus' call is globe-wide, worldwide. That includes Gunnison. It is happening right here, right now. You are part of it. And our mission, our calling as a church to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the entire world includes Gunnison, Crested Butte, Almond, Pitkin, Parlin, and all surrounding areas. And it's happening, and we're glad. Okay, 
This guy was an Ethiopian. Why else is that important? Because the guy, in addition to being the beginning of the fulfillment of Acts 1.8 and Jesus' prophecy, Jesus has called Philip to leave a revival to go connect with a man who is black. What does this mean? This means there is no room for racism of any kind in the body of Christ. There is absolutely no room for racism in the body of Christ. A person with black skin and brown skin and yellow skin and white skin are equally made in the image of God. And we desperately need to see that. And and don't go trying to worship some kind of Caucasian Jesus. Some kind of long-haired, Calvin Klein underwear-wearing model that holds a lamb whose painting is all over Christian bookstores. Because he didn't look like you. Most of us. He didn't look like me. But we have this way of creating God in our image. I attended a church real quickly, Shereen and the kids and I, in New Orleans called uh, Gentilly Baptist Church. And it was built in the 30s and 40s when that area of the city was predominantly white, almost exclusively white. And here was this staunch, Bible-believing Baptist church that was, forgive me, run by idiots who used the Bible to justify their racism. They had special deacons posted near the front door so that if an African-American family came seeking God, wanting to worship God, they could escort them out and tell them they would be much happier somewhere else. And as African-American families started to move into the neighborhood, um, some of that changed. We were there at a service, we had, as the church leadership discovered, that the cornerstone of this church had been laid and engraved by the Ku Klux Klan. And so as a way to repent of our own hardness of heart and the hardness of heart of those who had come before us, we had this service um, gotten that old cornerstone out of the garage and we were going to smash it as a congregation, as we broke our hearts and prayed for God's mercy. That service was interrupted by the Klan, and we were threatened. And many people in the congregation were glad. Were glad. And the church dwindled. And the church died. And an African-American man moved into the neighborhood and he was a pastor. And he stepped into that pulpit and he proclaimed that God has no racial profiling. 
that black and white and brown and yellow and everything in between was welcome. And that town is now exploding for Jesus Christ. There is no room. There is no room. And before you say that was New Orleans, this is Gunnison, I want you to ask yourself this. How many Mexican immigrants are part of our church? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say zero. Yet our town is, is full of them. Is full of them. But we don't really want to know them. We really don't want to chase after them. We don't want so much to invite them to come sit next to us, to be part of our lives, to be part of the Jesus that we proclaim. We are all about going on mission trips to Mexico to share the love of Jesus Christ so long as they're smart enough to stay where they belong. Because if they come here seeking hope, if they come here seeking life, we reject them. We reject them. The Ethiopian was nothing like Philip. Nothing like Philip. And yet, God is chasing after this guy. He is calling uh, Philip to chase after this man. And then some of us wouldn't cross the street or cross the church for somebody who is different than us. Some of us choose what church we attend based on being homogeneous. Based on being homogeneous. We have a man that I know and I love who attended here for two years. Two years. Um, we never intended to make this a college church. We meant to make this a place where people were open about being broken with sin and the only solution being Jesus Christ and our call to share that good news with everybody in Gunnison, everybody at the college. It just so happens that the college students received this and resonated with this. And, and this man said to me, we're, we're going somewhere else. And I said, is there something we could do different? He said, well, I'm kind of of retirement age and I just want to be with people that I have more in common with. That reflects many of our hearts and it's tragic. Here's why. Because that shows absolutely no sense of what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God is as diverse as we can imagine. He is chasing after people that we find offensive. He is chasing after people of every socioeconomic stripe, of every nationality, of every brokenness. He's chasing after people who don't know who their parents are, who have babies out of wedlock, who are confused about their sexuality, who are, you name it, homogeneous 
is what the church has become. It is not a picture of the kingdom of heaven or the heart of God. We're going to move on. We are. I just, I just want us to get this. I just want us to get this. I need some Diet Coke. We're just getting started. This guy was known as the Ethiopian eunuch. Eunuch. There's a word you don't use every day. We should take a second to talk about what a eunuch is. Eunuchs are men who have been castrated. Okay, we have the kids. They're upstairs. We can handle this. They've had their testicles cut off. That's difficult for me to say my mom is visiting. I think that's the first time I've ever said that in the presence of my mother. (laughs) This man, probably as a child, has been sexually neutered. No testosterone or very little. This guy is not the lumberjack that we see on the wrapper of the brawny paper towel. Okay? He probably has a very non-muscular build, as we would define it by a man, probably a voice that has not yet changed. He probably has a lack of facial and body hair. You'd be very different than the Jews. He did not look like a man's man. In biblical times, in this particular society, eunuchs were considered sexual minorities because of a prohibition often in the Jewish faith in Deuteronomy 23.1 that, that forbade them from participating fully in the worshiping community. So they were viewed particularly by the Jews as outcasts. And the eunuch finds himself on the margins of the mainstream and Jesus is chasing after this guy. He says, you're not on the margins of my heart. You're not on the margins of my kingdom. You're not on the margins of my love regardless of how people have treated you. Now, eunuchs, in a sense, were another gender, not female, certainly not male in the fullest sense of sexual manhood. I want you to picture him with the remote control. He's watching television. He's going, okay, let's see what's on. UFC fight night. Uh, no. Let's see what else. Oh, the scrapbooking channel. Mm, I don't think so. Uh, Let's see what else. Oh, the Chastity Bono story. That might be interesting. So I want us to picture this. Not allowed to worship. Not allowed to grow up in the community he was born into. Very often they were made royal servants, particularly with a concubine or a harem because they could be around these women, they could be around these royals, and there was no threat to the royal bloodline because they were neutered. Men could not completely relate to him. Women could not completely relate to him. He was marginalized, but Jesus could continually and completely relate to him. Even Because of his sexuality of lack thereof and his expression of gender. Here is an important thing that we need to grasp. He is an important person in a position of authority. He is probably rich and he is a sexual deviant. And Jesus is chasing after him. 
Jesus is chasing after someone who is sexually on the fringes. Jesus is chasing after him. Does your theology need to be reshaped to make room for that? I'm a Baptist, but I'm a Christian first. And I want to say, this may be for nobody here. This may be for somebody who listens to the podcast. Put down your protest sign and pick up your cross and go love that person until they know how much Jesus loves them. Jesus is chasing after somebody on the fringes. Verse 28. You're doing the math. You're saying, I'm never getting out of here. You will. And he was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet of Isaiah. Jesus is so chasing after this man that he has given him a hunger for his word. Now, it's important to see he had a scroll with the, with the Old Testament written. These were not flying around. Not everybody owned this. God had given him a hunger for his word. And, and he has probably gone to great expense to buy this. It is across his lap. In the synagogue, there were not copies of the Old Testament under the seat in front of you. He did this. God had given him a hunger for his word. And verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip. Now, the spirit, God himself, has taken over, apparently giving that angel the rest of the day off. God is involved directly. And he says this, go over and join this chariot. Go over and join this chariot. Look at it. Look at it. God is calling the place, gives him the next call, and he says, yes, this is an absolutely radical command. It's like saying, there's this car, you see it? It's going down to Michi. It's heading west. That's the guy. Go run after the car. Go run after the car. He's the one that I've sent you 60 miles to connect with so he can connect with me. Go do that. So what does he do? Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now, this is awesome. Don't miss this, okay? He's saying, Philip, go get him. So Philip's running after a moving vehicle, okay? It's like, hey, dude, dude, yeah, how's it going? What you reading? Looks like a Bible. How's that working out for you? What's God saying to you? What happens? What happens? He's led by the Holy Spirit. I want you to see this. Philip is running after this man because God has commanded him to run after this man. He is doing so being led by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is jogging next to a moving chariot. That's how bad he wants this guy home. And that's how bad he wants you home, whether you're a follower of his or not. So what happens what happens? He runs, and it seems undignified. Some of you may be thinking, not my Jesus. Not my Jesus. He doesn't do undignified things like that. Oh, yeah, he does. He runs. 
he runs like the father who stands at the edge of the driveway waiting for his boy to come home. And when he sees the first glimpse of him, he hikes up his robe like no self-respecting elder person in that community would ever do so that he can sprint to his boy and sweep him into his arms and say, welcome home, welcome home. We have a God who's not hung up on being dignified. He's hung up on bringing home. Verse 31. And he said, how can I understand? He says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Get this picture. We have a brown man, Philip, sitting next to a black man, the Ethiopian eunuch who is also sexually and gender challenged, as we would say. And they are sitting next to each other, talking about the word of God as equals. I won't talk to that person. They're not in my social group. They don't live in my neighborhood. What they do and what they're about is not what I do. It's not what I'm about. They're sitting together. They're breaking open the word. And look how God uses it. 32. Now the passage of the scripture he was reading was this. It's from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 35, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? Who's he talking about? Is it talking about himself or about someone else? Who are we talking about here, Philip? Philip says, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. And he might have, it says, uh, he began there and Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Maybe he backed up a few verses to Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 and shared that with him. You see, he shared the good news of Jesus. He didn't give this guy a laundry list of all the things we need to do for God, all the things he needed to to do for God, all the reasons why he was disqualified. He told him the good news about Jesus. Our message isn't behave. Our message is believe. Because when God moves in, he'll he'll take care of the actions. He'll take care of the externals if the heart is right. The danger we move into is that we change our behaviors and we think that reflects our hearts. And it doesn't. Verse four, he told of what Jesus had done for him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. What Jesus has done for him, what Jesus has done for us, Jesus came for him. He came for you. He lived the life he couldn't live. He lived the life you and I couldn't live. He died the death we deserved on the cross as our substitute in our place. He rose for our salvation. He died for our sins and he reigns so that we might live in him and live rejoicing. That's Jesus. That's the good news. And Jesus is chasing after the Ethiopian eunuch and everyone here right now so that we can live in the reality of the good news and not the way we've jacked it up. And that we might rejoice. 36, we're bringing it home. This, this is like the home stretch. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, smart guy. What prevents me from being baptized? He wants in 100%. He believes with all his heart. What prevents me from being baptized? Why would he ask that question? Because he was prevented from being a full part of the worshiping community in the temple because of his condition. What keeps me from being a Christian? What prevents me from being able to enter into full fellowship with the body of Christ and with Jesus? And the answer is, you're not prevented. You're not prevented. He wants in what prevents me. We hesitate. There are probably 30 people this year, 2009, last year, who prayed to receive Christ in this church who have yet to take the step to be obedient in baptism. Waiting for the right moment. Maybe we don't want to jump in too fast. Maybe we want to clean up our lives before we really get into this Jesus thing. Maybe we're not ready to step forward and call him ours publicly. This guy... So we have a baptism service about every month here. So uh, if you're into that and you're hearing God's call, talk to Matt, talk to me. He wanted in. He wanted in. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, if you're following along in the ESV, you'll see it goes from verse 36 to verse 38, as it does in some translations. Actually, in some older manuscripts, there is a verse 37 that says this, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 38. It's not in here because the ESV relies on the most trustworthy manuscripts, but it doesn't change the, the meaning of the passage. 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, this is very cool. This is like Chris Angel stuff. And the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. I don't pretend to understand what that's about. But it's a miraculous thing. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. That's what happens. That's what happens when God turns the light on. He says, I am Jesus and I am life. And I'm truth, I'm forgiveness, I am eternal life. Come, come home. And he did. He went on his way rejoicing, and that's what happened to him. Now, we can't know for sure, but historical texts 
from the second century that are non-biblical. These are, these are um, secular texts, historical texts, if you will, written by Arrhenius, say that the, the eunuch became a missionary to the people in Ethiopia and that the eunuch's first convert was the queen mother Candace herself. And years later, when the first missionaries came to Ethiopia, they saw an exploding church that had been planted by one man who was on the fringes, whom Jesus was chasing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel. To all the towns he came to uh, Caesarea. He preached the gospel. He told the good news. This guy goes off rejoicing. Philip is rejoicing because he knows his purpose. His purpose for being here, for living one day after he received Jesus Christ was to point to Jesus. He knew that was his purpose. I know that is my purpose at the college, at the foundation, at the church, at the city market, in my neighborhood, on my street, in my family, at a bar, at a restaurant. My job, my purpose is to point to Jesus. Our job, our purpose, if you're a Christian, where you become one today is to point to Jesus. That's what we do. We make much of him. That's what Philip did. And he's preaching the good news in his Otis. And all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Because Jesus is chasing after those people too. Do you need to be loved? Do you need to be home? Do you need to know? Follower of Jesus Christ. Or person who is far from him. That Jesus is still chasing after you. Let's pray.